A young couple sat at my elbow in a midtown restaurant. They were so close I couldn't avoid overhearing, overhearing them. Their communication was intense. I learned their names, Sarah and David. Sarah was upset, emotional. David was awkward. He was embarrassed, too. He was trying to change the nature of their relationship. Sarah wasn't buying it. David said he still loved her, still cared about her. He was just, his words, allergic to commitment. It made him feel claustrophobic. Sarah shot back that he was making her out to be a smothering shrew. Well, actually, she used other language than that. Didn't, they, didn't he think they had good times and spoke the same language? David paused a long while before he summoned up a line I've heard more than once over the years. I could tell David was reaching somewhere for just the right thing to say, and finally, with great animation in his face and body, he said, Sarah, I'm not backing out of the friendship. I'm backing out of the relationship. David was running scared. And you know, people who run scared is a club for everyone, at least some of the time, and relationships are like that sometimes. Threatening, challenging, even occasionally terrifying. Especially, I'm noting, for 20-somethings unused to making deep commitments. But not just speaking of romantic relationships here, all kinds, every kind, all human interactions are fraught with complexities. The snapshot of Sarah and David lingers in my memory as a certain kind of prototype. Two individuals trying to move into their future uncertain of commitment and afraid to uncover whatever deep truth lurks beneath the surface. They struggle to name their truth, really. Well, maybe I've overanalyzed their circumstance. It's just that I know my own experience and I have heard the experiences of many, many others over the years. Beyond acts of nature or your genetics, Aren't most of your problems, your issues or concerns, relational in nature, most of them? Don't most of your vexing concerns involve others, directly or indirectly? This is what keeps pastors and counselors and psychologists and life coaches busy. We need help to see others clearly. Don't we tend to put people in boxes that help us organize our thinking and our feelings? We view others through personalized and highly efficient filters so that we wind up seeing what we want to see. You've heard me say over the years that this often accounts for romantic love. Romantic love at least partially consists, psychologists will tell you this, partially consists of a projection of ourselves 
unto the other. We think we see the other, but in fact we're seeing a mirror image. Eventually we come to discover that someone else, someone more complex, someone often less likable, frankly, has possession of the person we thought we knew. I tell couples that's when real love might actually take over. When couples come prior to getting married, I will often say to them, you know, there will come a moment, if it hasn't yet occurred, when you roll over in bed and look at the person sharing the space with you, and you say to yourself, my God, what am I doing here? And I say, that is when you have the opportunity to discover what real love actually entails. For that's when each person has the opportunity to see the truth of the other and of, and of themselves. And robust love is all about the truth. Authentic love and truth go hand in hand. We often don't talk like this, do we? Love and truth go hand in hand. But as you know, romance isn't the only relational quagmire. Whenever we engage others, we package them for our own purpose. We name, label, categorize them to satisfy our needs, missing the larger truth of the other. What is racism but a form of packaging? What or whom do we see when someone is identified as a liberal or a conservative or a Republican or a Democrat, an undocumented immigrant, a Muslim, and so on? Any label lends itself to abuse, to seeing someone other than who is actually standing right there. We all know about this since we all do it. And it's equally true in speaking of our God relationship. If ever there was a place we should seek to set aside our preconceptions, it's there. But all of us come to God with biases based on who we need or want or expect to see. Who is it that you think we're addressing in here anyway? Who is this God we speak of here? All we have to do is cast a glance around the nation at all of the people who call themselves Christian to realize that there is an astonishing range of variations on a theme. And honestly, quite honestly, some who bear the name Christian seem to worship an entirely different God than I do. We use a lot of the same language but arrive at very different, in some cases even diametrically opposed viewpoints on just who God is. I suppose it's inevitable that we all have a tendency to create a God in our own image. I think Anne Lamott has it quite right when she says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Now, pity the position of poor Pontius Pilate. If ever a man had need of categorizing another person, of putting him in a box, as it were, of seeing someone he might recognize from out of his own experience, it was this Roman governor. Who do you imagine he saw when looking at the bedraggled Jew 
who had been brought before him. Surely Pontius Pilate had his opinions about Jews. Was Pilate able to look through the filters of his biases to see the actual man standing there in front of him? But then it wasn't just a Jew, he was told, but a man who purported to be a king. A king? Well, that would have tripped Pilate's trigger. After all, Pilate was an important and imperious government official, a governor assigned at the pleasure of the Roman emperor himself. Pilate knew all about kings and kingdoms. He knew real power when he saw it. Didn't he have some himself, if only over backwater Palestine? Still, he was in charge. The people brought this Jesus to him. Not that he liked getting involved in older petty squabbles, tricky business manipulating the pieces on the game board, keeping the crowds reasonably content while still exerting enough power to show who was boss. Tricky relationships to manage. Pilate knew for certain Jesus was no king. He didn't look like a king, he didn't talk like a king, and he didn't sound like one. Still, this was perplexing because the local leaders brought him as one who was said to have royal ambition. So Pilate does ask him, well, are you the king of the Jews? And as the story is told, Jesus gives a kind of mystical answer, something about a kingdom from another world. Not the answer of any king Pilate knew. It was the answer of a dreamer. Kings were practical. They saw what needed to be done and they did it. They knew the relative value of human life and one here or there didn't much matter. What mattered was the amassing and manipulation of power. And Pilate had power over this silly Jew. And so in the end, he would turn over this man to be put to death in the usual manner of the day as an enemy of the state. And he would have words inscribed in three different languages at the top of his cross, which said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Was this done in sarcasm, irony, confession? All we know is that today we remember Pilate solely because he put this man to death. That's the only reason. Lo and behold, 2,000 years later, this same supposed enemy of this state sits emblazoned on a throne in our mosaics and lends our church his name. At the very least, we could say Pilate missed something really crucial in his relationship with Jesus. He didn't see a larger truth. Pilate saw what he wanted to see, or better, what he needed to see, to shore up his own worldview, to keep it clear, which is no different than what any of us do most of the time. The truth is quite It's quite remarkable that we allow ourselves to take in any new information given the fragile nature of our egos which we're constantly shoring up. 
even the most imperious and impressive of kingly leaders are in the business of constantly shoring up their own egos and point of view and perspective about how the world is organized. Well, as you heard, today in the church's calendar is the last Sunday of our year. Next Sunday begins another year on the first Sunday of Advent. But today, the last Sunday is designated Reign of Christ, or Christ the King, named for the man pictured in our mosaic up there, sitting on a throne of all things. There's a sense in which we could say that depiction is a Reign of Christ day depiction. But then who do you see when you look up there? Squint your eyes in just the right light and you'll notice the book on his lap is open to a page that reads, I am the light of the world. When Pilate looked at Jesus, he intended his question as hip first century philosophical sarcasm when he asked, what is truth? Yet that is the relevant question. It's always the relevant question. Always, everywhere, in all of our relationships. What is truth at home, on the job, at play, at dinner with someone we say we care about, and in the quiet of our own contemplation? Keeping an eye on the truth is an excruciatingly difficult discipline because we want to slip away from the truth regularly faster than you can say lickety split but Jesus said people who know the truth listen to me You know, friends, I, I strongly disagree with those who say there is no truth or that all truths are equal, that all truth is relative. We have that a lot in our culture, more now than ever before in my lifetime for certain. But there is no truth, capital T. And by the way, to say there is no truth is in fact a truth claim. I would point out. And all truth claims compete for our allegiance. They're all in play. Jesus Christ is up there in our mosaics because many, 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 many people over many hundreds and hundreds of years have listened to him. 
Yes, they don't do this especially well because, as I've said, we all suffer from the same human propensity to see what we want or need to see, to shore up our own privileged place in the world. Like Pilate, that is the engine of our corruption. Still, still, if we actually give ourselves permission to listen and to follow along, if we actually would like to see and hear the truth, capital T, we cannot avoid contending with this man. Can't avoid it. And at the end of it, we will not be the same because truth will always and finally have its way. Always. <laughs> always. Thank God.